0: Today is the death anniversary of Mahatma Gandhi, uh, today being 30th January 2019. I have been very much inspired by uh, Mahatma Gandhi's work, his teachings, and in fact I have tried to imbibe some of them in my own life. I will talk today about Gandhiji I profess to know. I was born two and a half years after Gandhiji's death, so I never saw him in flesh and blood. Hence, all my understanding of him has come from meeting people who knew him and from reading about him in his writings. Thus, I am going to narrate anecdotes about him from people who met and worked with him. These anecdotes have not been written and I am afraid will be lost, hence my desire to narrate them. Also, the anecdotes help describe a person in human terms. No matter how great the soul is, once it acquires a human body, then it is guided by the frailties of human existence. Gandhi was no different. Many times he said that he was an ordinary human being, but sometimes when truth spoke through him, he became a superhuman being, capable of moving millions of his countrymen, and in doing so, did wonderful things. Thus, he was a medium of higher forces and it is my belief that all great historical figures are such mediums, whether good or evil. My father told me a remarkable episode about Gandhiji. It happened sometime in 1941. Gandhiji was supposed to give a speech in Alabad where he wanted to spell out his ideas about Quit India Movement. So it was an important speech and all the great leaders of the independence movement were present. There were about 5-10 to lakh people in the ground and there was much din and noise. Hence it was difficult to hear what the leaders were saying. Again and again Nehru and Acharya Triplani would come to the mic and tell people to remain quiet so that they can hear their leaders speak, but to no avail. Gandhiji was late in coming to the meeting. Once he came, he got on the dais and put a finger on his lip. A wave of silence spread over the field starting from the dais. My father said he never saw such a thing where a small frail man exerted so much power just by his presence and in a very non-violent way. My father Jagdish Rajan Rajavanshi went to jail with Gandhiji during the 1942, 1942 movement. He and his young colleagues, they were all in 20-25 to 25 years of age group, were inspired by Hitler. His fiery speeches that they heard on the radio and hardly understood them since they were in German, somehow inspired them. But this episode was a reminder to them of a higher thought of Mahatma Gandhi. Gandhiji had a presence, that is a mark of a great soul and a very evolved spiritual being. To Gandhiji, spirituality came first. Other things like politics, public life etc were byproducts of his spirituality. There are many instances where people spoke about his aura or presence. Whether they were just awed by him or really had a mind bending presence is difficult to say, but it did exist nevertheless. Almost anybody who came in contact with him was influenced by his thoughts and ideas. My father's friend, late Sri Ratnalal Joshi, who was editor of Hindustan, and was also involved in freedom movement, told me of an anecdote. A well-known writer from Allahabad, who was also a friend of Shri Joshi, used to write about Gandhiji's sexual experiments in a very derogatory manner. He thought that Gandhi was a sexual pervert and had gone senile. Gandhiji apparently wanted to meet him and discuss with him the issue. So a message was sent through Ratnala Joshi that he should come and meet Gandhiji about it. The writer was thrilled and he prepared a four-page questionnaire about Gandhi's sexual experiments. Both he and Sri Joshi went to see Gandhiji. He asked the writer about his family, what his children were doing and told him that since he was such a good writer, instead of writing about his sexual experiments, he should focus on good things and write about Raja Harishchand, someone that the writer used to hate and thought that it was another of Gandhi's fads to talk all the time about Harishchan. All the interview time about 45 minutes was taken up in this chit chat. After the interview, Shri Joshi asked him why he did not ask ask those questions. The writer said that he could not get the courage to ask them. A similar story was told to me by Lavanam. At a time when I wrote that article almost 6-7 years ago, he was an 81-year-old Gandhian was forced to join Sevagram Ashram in Vardha when he was 16 16 years of age. His parents Gora and Saraswati Gora, a great social reformer couple and atheist, were followers of Gandhi and lived in Sevagram. They decided to yank Lavanam out of the school and give him nai talim, or new education, and which was based on Gandhiji's concept of imparting education through manual work and handicrafts. In 1996, I was invited to attend a conference entitled Mahatma Gandhi's Relevance for 21st Century. This conference was held in CCMB, Hyderabad and was organized by my former professor Dr. V. Balasubunyam who was the director of CCMB. I roomed with Lavanam during the conference and requested him to tell me some anecdotes about Gandhiji. He said that his job in the ashram was to cut vegetables and fruits. He used to hate it since he always felt that he should be attending school and not doing this manual work. Every day Gandhiji would pass him on his way to his bath after his massage. He did not say anything to him but used to smile. This went for almost a month. One day while going to his bath, Gandhiji asked Lavanam what he was doing. Being a young impetuous boy who was already peed with this type of work, he replied, Don't you see what I am doing? Gandhiji said, Yes, I can see that, but have you tasted the fruits to see whether they are sweet or good? Lavanam replied indignantly, How can I taste them? They will become juta as they are for the ashram. Gandhi said, If I were in your place, I would taste them, and since nobody is watching, it does not matter. Lavanam told him that this is untruthful and not correct, to which Gandhi replied, You, a 16-year-old, want to teach me the pujari of truth about what is correct and incorrect, and then he had a hearty laugh. Lavnam said that in those few minutes of exchange, Gandhi came to his level and put him at ease and became a great friend. Though a great camaraderie developed between Lavnam and Gandhi, Lavnam said that living in a Sevagram ashram was a mind-bending exercise. It was impossible to think critically and straight. Such was the power of thought of Gandhi. Shri Bibi Vora, who was like an uncle to me and retired as the Chairman of Advisory Board of Energy, Government of India, during Rajiv Gandhi's time, told me of another anecdote. In January 1948, he and his young friends came to Delhi from Punjab since they wanted to see Gandhi as it was rumoured that he might die any day since there had been many attempts on his life. Shri Bibi Vora told me that they walked few steps behind Gandhiji to the prayer meeting and his skin was glowing like copper. Vora also told me that it was bitingly cold that day and he and his friends were wearing long johns, boots, overcoats and warm caps while Gandhiji was going to the prayer meeting in the evening in sandals and without a cap, had a simple khadi shawl on his body and wearing a dhoti which left half of his legs uncovered. Like a great yogi, he had mastered the elements so he was not bothered by them. There were few residents in Savarmidhi ashram who somehow were not touched by the mind bending atmosphere of Gandhiji. One was my wife's grandmother, Kamla Nimkar, Ni Elizabeth Lundy. She was an American lady who had married Vishnu Nimkar in 1931. One of the conditions that Vishnu Nimkar had put to her for marrying him and living in India was that she had to live very frugally. So it was decided that she will live in Sabarmati ashram with Gandhiji and imbibe Indian values of frugality and manual labor. She stayed in the ashram for 3-4 months in the late 1930s. Elizabeth Lundy was the only other white woman besides Meera Behen, who was Madeleine Slade from England in Sabarmati ashram. It was a tradition in the ashram that all girls would write diaries of their dreams and these were discussed the next day in the ashram meeting according to kamla nimkar this was an invasion of privacy and she felt the dreams are extremely private and hence she refused to write them there was a minor tremor in the ashram since nobody till that time had refused gandhiji's rules meera ben got very upset she being quite a neurotic woman took upon herself the task of creating an opinion against kamla nimkar in the ashram and with gandhiji it was gandhi who put down this tempest in the teapot by saying that if Kamala Nunkar does not want to write her diary, then it is fine with him. Gandhiji was a great karma yogi who believed in the power of action and work. He never believed in any palmist, soothsayer, etc. Sri Ratanlal Joshi told me of an incident when a palmist came to Gandhiji to see his palm and maybe predict his future. He was informed that he will have to wait since Gandhiji was spinning his charka. After a couple of hours waiting, the palmist inquired as to how long he will have to wait further. Gandhiji informed him till I get some Poon Swaraj or complete freedom from British. Gandhiji had his share of human frailties. He was quite a bully and he had fixed up idea- ideas about a lot of things. Nirbal Kumar Bose, who was his secretary during his Noah Kali trip in West Bengal in 1947, wrote that Gandhi would get very upset if the person who was assigned the work did not do it. This was despite the fact that the work was done by somebody else. He felt that there should be a discipline in the workforce and so he acted many times as a military commander who wanted all his troops to do their assigned work without questioning. Thus whatever Gandhiji wanted either in the ashram or in the Congress party took place. Shri Zagratnalal Joshi also told me another wrote about this aspect of Gandhiji. It was a common practice in the Congress Working Committee meetings for Gandhi to ask all the members their opinion on a particular matter and how they would like to proceed on it. Shri Rajendra Prasad, who later on became the first President of India and was a great Congress leader and a close associate of Gandhi, once remarked, Bapu, why do you do this drama of taking our opinions? Ultimately, what you want and when decided it will only happen. Joshi told me that Gandhi had a hearty laugh at this comment. He was quite harsh on his family. His poor treatment of his sons and his wife Kasturba are very well documented. He threw out his sister and her husband from the Savramati ashram when he found out that they could not account for a few, few paisa discrepancy in ashram accounts. Bullies always admire the people who can stand up to them. Maybe that was the reason why Gandhi chose Nehru over Patel. Patel did everything that Gandhi asked him to do, whereas Nehru was quite critical and had major differences of opinion with Gandhi on various issues. Besides, Gandhiji felt intuitively that Nehru being much younger than Patel will be able to guide the destiny of India for a longer time. Gandhi was brutally honest about his actions, life and anything he did. This included his sexual experiments of sleeping naked with his grand-niece and others. In this, he was following the ancient Indian tradition of testing his celibacy by exposing himself to the temptations of human flesh. Specifically, he was following Sri Ramakrishna's example of sleeping naked with his wife and then going in Samadhi at the sight of his wife's body. Gandhi never went into Samadhi, but just went to sleep. Both Nirmal Kumar Bose and Ved Mehta have described this aspect of Gandhi's life in detail in their books. Gandhiji did these sexual experiments during the last years of his life. I do not know what was he trying to prove, but there is a strong connection between sex and death and intuitively he felt that his days on this earth were numbered. Since he had taken a vow of celibacy, his sleeping with naked woman was an act of sublimating his sexual desires rather than consuming them. Though he was a great soul, I feel he was a very tortured human being in the last days of his life. With the stench of death all round him, both in Noa and other places, he felt that his edifice of non-violence had collapsed. He said many times that he saw darkness everywhere. He still tried to bring peace through his superhuman efforts of fasting in his last days, but he understood intuitively that his nonviolent mission had been a lost cause. It is also a sad fact that a number of people who died in Hindu Muslim roids, about 1.5 to 2 million were nearly the same numbers as those who died in the Second World War. A nation which produced a great profit of nonviolence, to some the greatest Pujari of non-violence after Buddha. Had to see the greatest act of violence in its history. Dandiji was a multifaceted human being. Endowed with a very powerful mind, he thought deeply on all, all issues affecting him and the nation. Thus, how to have a good diet, keeping a healthy body and how to get rid of British were all equally important for him. Thus, in one issue of Young India, a weekly paper that Dandiji published, would carry an article on how to get rid of constipation and the importance of gandhi Irwin pact. To him, both these things had equal importance. Besides, he actively talked and wrote about moral issues and karmiyog. Thus, he combined in one person a commander of independence movement, promoter of peace, creator of a new thought of non-violent satyagraha and advocate of a wholesome and healthy life. To my mind, the only other person who combined all these qualities was Prophet Muhammad in 6th century AD. Because of his multifaceted personality of Gandhi, none of his followers became his two disciples. They could only follow one aspect of his personality. For example, Vinoba was a spiritual disciple, Muraji Desai his disciple for naturopathy, J.C. Kumarappa was disciple for rural development, etc. Nehru never believed in any of his philosophies and was a rebel. Gandhiji was far ahead of his times. His 1930 Table conference speech in London is a masterpiece on the issue of north-south cooperation. He talked about Commonwealth of Britain and independent India and said that the combined economies of these countries can help the world. Similarly, he showed the way for sustainable development by his own example of living simply and producing a highest quality of thought. His intuitive thinking of self-sufficient and sustainable rural economy is an idea in Vogue and which he propagated and wrote about in 1920s. I think his ideas on sustainability are more relevant today than any time before. In 2002, I spent almost half a day in Savarmuthi Ashram, looking at the architecture of the ashram and also spending some quiet time in the library trying to understand why Gandhiji chose this place. The ashram situated on the banks of Shankan and polluted Sabarmati ashram was desolate and quite hot. But the old photographs that I saw in the library showed that it was full of trees and with cool breeze coming over the full Sabarmati ashram, of Sabarmati river must have been a very pleasant place to live even without electricity. I think Gandhiji was quite a clever person who chose places which had pleasant surroundings so he could live with minimum external energy inputs. Like electricity for fans etc. Gandhiji's greatest asset was that he carried every Indian with him. That is a hallmark of a great leader. There were other great leaders in the last century like Mao, Hitler, Stalin and others but they led their countrymen with force and fear. Gandhi led Indians by love and higher thought and that is a mark of a great soul. At the time of his death almost the whole country mourned. My mother, who had never met Gandhiji, told me that there was no food cooked in the house on that day since everybody felt that a close member of the family had died. In millions of homes throughout India, similar grief was witnessed on that day. That could only happen because every Indian identified with Gandhiji as one of their own, a mark of a great and noble soul, almost bordering on divine. The ultimate tribute to him was given by his rebel heir Jawaharlal Nehru when he said the light has gone out of our lives and there is darkness everywhere. For the light that shone in this country was no ordinary light and a thousand years later that the light will be seen in this country and the world will see it and will give solace to in your hearts.